0: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk about blockchain again. And by the way, to Dan from blockchain.com. So first question for me will be, how did you get this domain name, right? But that's... A lot more important is, what is blockchain.com? What do they do in terms of digital wallet services? And they provide also other services on trading and lending. But also, we would like to talk about acquisitions in this space and the NFTs and things like this. So very curious to get an update from the US on this space. Welcome, Dan. How are you today?
1: Great. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's actually funny. You mentioned how did we get the, the domain name? So it cost us $8. <laughs> and uh, the founding team, Peter Smith, who's the founder and CEO, you know, happened to start blockchain.com a very long time ago when the uh, blockchain wasn't well understood. And it's definitely been a help for the company having such a kind of key URL. So a lot of the you know, growth in the early days was just having that URL. It's so kind of an interesting
0: backstory. Um, Brilliant. So it's a foresight and it's the timing, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> So what's Um, your background and how did you get to work in blockchain or digital asset space?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So my background, um, software engineer, originally spent about um, eight years in hedge funds, mostly doing quant trading. And then in 2012, got very interested and excited about startups in Silicon Valley. And so left hedge funds and went to a startup called Atom. I joined when there were maybe 20 people and spent about seven and a half years there. Um, helping build that company, which was more focused on technology for wealth management. And then in about 2019, I started to realize I really missed trading, investing. went to Citadel for about a year and a half and worked on equities technology. And it was around that time I'd always watched crypto, frankly, somewhat skeptically. It felt like a bit of a sideshow. But I think in 2019, things started to become more real for me. It started to look like something that was becoming more legitimate and not just a pure store of value. So about six months ago, I left Citadel and joined blockchain.com, where I helped lead our institutional business.
0: Fantastic. So great. You mentioned Adapar. We chatted before. Shout out to Alistair, who was also on this <laughs> podcast and talk about the marketplace that, that you built there as well, right? Yes. Yeah, funny enough, I actually worked with Ad- Alistair for about two years building out that marketplace. Fantastic. So the world is literally small, right? <laughs> Even in the audio or virtual uh, sense of the uh, sense of the word. So yeah. what is blockchains.com's mission? What is the problem that you're solving? Or is there a gap on the market that you saw and you th- felt like we got to jump in there and fill that one?
1: Yeah. So you know, as I mentioned, blockchain.com is actually one of the oldest crypto companies. I think the mission has been somewhat constant, which is you know, trying to create a financial system for the internet that empowers anyone to control their money. So that's like the big mission of the company. And to drill down a little bit on that, ultimately, it's trying to provide access for people, whether they're unbanked, underbanked, or whether they're large institutions, trying to provide access for people to crypto. And I think what's very interesting about crypto is it means a lot of different things. And so on the one hand, there's the crypto assets themselves, that have different kind of features and functionalities. There's the functionality of blockchain itself. But I think one of the things I've come to realize now, so having spent six months in, in this space is, I, I believe in some ways what personal computing opened up to the internet, I think in some ways internet opens up to crypto. And I, I do believe crypto will become its own ecosystem and environment. And blockchain.com very much is, is meant to be that gateway and a and, you know, way for people and institutions to access that environment.
0: Wonderful. Are we going to drill down to this even further? Of course, let me just follow up on what you said before. You said you work with institutional clients at blockchain.com. So what is your mandate specifically?
1: My mandate within blockchain.com? Right. Yeah. So if you look at blockchain.com as a company, we have two core businesses, a consumer business, where we offer a data explorer, a private wallet, a custodial wallet, a brokerage and, and an exchange. And so those are a little bit more targeted towards individual customers. And then on the institutional side, we offer a set of services that works with institutions. So when we talk about institutions, that's anything from crypto mining companies or trading firms to other types of crypto operating firms to non-crypto firms like hedge funds and family offices. So it's a pretty broad swath of, of the market. And there, those types of firms, we try to offer a a pretty broad set of services. So we provide lending, we offer OTC options and and spot trading, we offer electronic liquidity execution services, and we're actually starting to get involved in, in some new things around DeFi or potentially some asset management fund products that we can offer. And it really depends on both the sophistication of the institution, but also their needs I think ultimately our goal is that we can partner with these institutions, understand the things they're trying to do, and have some sort of service or product that we can offer to help them, you know, solve their problems.
0: And you explained that the blockchain.com has been around for a while. Has your focus originally been retail or end, con- consu- end consumers, and now you're building institutional or? Yeah. How, how has it been? Okay.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's very much an evolution. So in the very beginning, it was actually just a, like I mentioned, an explorer. So, And it just started with Bitcoin. So the original project or, or, or product was just, hey, you can browse a block, see the transactions that are posted in the very early days. Obviously, the crypto ecosystem has evolved quite quickly. And we try to keep up with the rapid evolution of crypto generally. And in the beginning, it focused much more on individual customers. We were one of the first firms that offered a private wallet, which is a pretty big differentiation from some of the other crypto firms out there meaning we provided technology so an individual user could manage their own keys and transfer crypto on-chain. And then from there, we started to you know, develop new products around custodial wallet, offer brokerage so that people could very easily buy crypto assets on-chain, and then launch an exchange so that people could do more active trading within a, an exchange limit order book. So that, that had was, I would say, maybe the first seven years or so of the company was more on the consumer side. We started building more institutional products over the last two or three years. And I think one of the things that's interesting with us is a lot of the core platform technology powers both those experiences. So whether we're offering lending or trading to an institutional customer or powering trading via the brokerage or exchange, there's an underlying platform that can be used to, to drive a lot of that
0: all right so when you talk about the key products for each of those segments you started with the wallet and the explorer and the the private wallet for the retail clients or consumers and then for institutional you provide facility for large scale trading and and of course lending as well right correct okay how does it work for example with in terms of derivatives some people thinking about already derivatives on digital assets or crypto assets right just like in the normal a normal world
1: yeah so there's three things that that we think makes us unique as it relates to derivatives so the first is risk management if you're going to trade derivatives with uh, an institutional firm you have to understand how to model those how, how to um, price them and we don't just go offer derivatives that are already available on one of the derivatives exchanges like say derivate but we have to be we have to understand how to actually even model and price these derivatives number one and number two is we have to have capital So that's another thing that really, I think, differentiates blockchain.com from any other companies in the crypto space is a lot of the services that we offer are backed by our own capital. So it's principal trading, meaning we're not just going to go, if we sell an option to a a client, we don't just turn around and and hedge that on Deribit, then they might as well just go to Deribit themselves. But instead, a lot of the options trading that we do is backed by our own capital. So what that means is oftentimes we're designing and, and trading more Custom or complex types of derivatives. So an example might be a Bitcoin miner. So if you have a Bitcoin miner that is running a large operation, what they're going to look for is some certainty in terms of the prices that they'll get in 6, 12, 18 months as they mine these coins. And so we can construct those more complex types of derivatives trades with them. That gives them some certainty within a band of the prices that they're going to get. And that's important to them if they're making large CapEx investing decisions in terms of buy- buying mining equipment or power agreements, et cetera. It really depends on the type of institutional firm. And because we have the capital, because we have the risk management, because we understand how to price these things, we can do things that are a bit more complex and custom and tailored to the needs of each institutional customer.
0: Alright, how does that work versus vis-a-vis the regulation, right? Because sometimes, of course, some of the digital assets or crypto assets, uh, banks uh, in many jurisdictions are licensed, just like any other bank elsewhere, it is maybe a little bit different. So how does it work with you? And how does it relate to the fact that you said that you are using your own capital?
1: Yeah, I think regulatory licensing is a pretty complex topic. I would say, first and foremost, we always look to operate under the regulatory requirements of the jurisdiction of the customer. And we're very much an international company. And We were started in in London. Only about 20% of our business is currently in the US. So we're very much a global and international company. It means we need to understand what are the regulatory requirements for the jurisdiction that client is in. Sometimes that means we can't work with them yet. I think we're pretty, we're focused on continuing to get the licenses that we need to expand our business. Depending on where they are, assuming we have the right licenses in place, then we can work with them to offer them options trading as an example. In the US, that's governed by the the CFTC. If you're in New York, there are other, the DFS might be involved. If you're in the UK, Switzerland, et cetera. So each of these have a different regulatory regime. So we have a really great team on the legal side that helps us understand when we talk to a potential client, Okay, where are they located? What are they interested in doing? We first make sure we can actually offer those services in that jurisdiction. Then we would onboard them and then finally do a transaction. It can take quite a bit of time from the time we first meet a firm that's interested in working with us to the time that we actually do the first trade.
0: All right. Understood. And you mentioned that you use your own balance sheet, etc. But are you, I guess you're not fully equity funded, right? So do you borrow as well? Or how does that work in terms of your own funding?
1: Yeah, exactly. It looks very much like how an investment bank or merchant bank. We recently raised a pretty large round earlier this year. So that does give us quite a bit of equity funding. But there are different ways to fund these activities. And so ultimately, we have, I would say, probably one of the larger balance sheets within the crypto ecosystem. And we're like I said, I think risk management is a core competency. If we understand the risks that we're taking, each one of these options trades that we would do with a client it goes into our risk management system to make sure that we're not taking kind of undue risk. And that's true for options trading. It's also true for lending. So when we do lending to one of our institutional clients, Obviously, we look at the credit risk of, of the client and, and make sure that that's done correctly. And then we also look at our own liquidity. I think one of the things that I really admire about Peter Smith, who, who's our founder and CEO, he founded this company a very long time ago, and we've survived many of the crypto winters that have occurred. And I think living through those gives us a kind of a deep appreciation for when times are good, how much risk are we willing to take, but most importantly, making sure and anticipating Hopefully, there's not a, the, another crypto winter, but if there is, that we're able to survive it and, and frankly, actually have a lot of growth through, through that potentially more difficult period.
0: Right. And uh, well, the crypto winters also relate to AI winters or there could be summers and, and uh, certain <laughs> buzzwords come and go. Right. And I feel like this year there is a new buzzword in town that's NFTs, frankly. Right. <laughs> so you know what kind of assets in from crypto or digital asset space can you trade on using your infrastructure? If, if I get the new NFTs from U.S. Open finalist uh, Leila yeah. Fernandez, you know, can I sell it using your uh, wallet or exchange or, or the platform?
1: Yeah. So if you look at the the current assets we support, you can go and look at what we have on the consumer side within our wallets, and there's quite a bit of focus within our company to continue to extend the new coins that we support within the wallets on the institutional side, of the analog is what can we custody and trade and yeah there's quite a bit of work that that goes into extending the custody and wallets to support new coins and the blockchain so that work is continuously involved we it seems like we're we tend to be adding a couple coins a week at this point so we absolutely are looking to extend the support that we have on the coin side NFTs specifically, we haven't gotten involved quite yet. But I think it's a space that we're, you know, <laughs> closely watching and, and and looking at. I think with NFTs, some of it there are fundamentals behind it and it makes sense. I think some of it feels a bit froth. And I think we want to be thoughtful in terms of what we support and making sure that we understand how these NFTs work, how people are trying to use them, and being thoughtful not just to support everything that's available within the crypto ecosystem, but making sure there's some sort of Kind of fundamental understanding and, and utility to, to what it does i think one of the things i love about crypto compared to traditional finance is because it's far less regulated that opens up the opportunity to do, to have a lot of experimentation and innovation but there is a there is like a downside to that which is many years ago it seemed like every few months there was another hack of an exchange or some sort of crypto operator mm-hmm. where hundreds of millions of dollars of crypto were stolen I think we're seeing less of that in the more kind of centralized area of crypto. Yeah, I think DeFi and, and certainly NFTs is much more on the bleeding edge of innovation. DeFi maybe is from the DeFi summer of last year. There have been a number of reports of hacks as people are trying to innovate on these various types of liquidity pools or lending protocols. And we've seen a number of hacks there. I think NFTs still represent quite a bit of risk because they're so new. And it's not totally clear what exactly is happening there. So a, a simple example might be somebody mints an NFT, it sells for two million dollars, then it sells for ten million dollars. So on the one hand, that's really exciting; it draws a lot of interest. But on the other hand, it's not clear who's buying that. You know, is is that person just selling it to themselves? You know, I think there, there's a lot of because it's moved so rapidly. There's certainly opportunity for things that that may not be, you know, quite as as kosher as, as what you know you would expect in traditional finance. Maybe another analogy is when you looked at the centralized exchanges, they reported volume, but I think a lot of the volume in the early days of those exchanges might have been, you know, self-trading. And I think there was quite a bit of emphasis of trying to eliminate that so you could get more clear real volumes being traded on the exchanges. So like I said, I think we're very intrigued by NFTs. It represents a lot of opportunity, but at the same time, I think we, we want to make sure if that's something that we start offering to our customers, that we have confidence that it's well understood so that our customers aren't getting involved in something that may not be completely safe or developed.
0: Right. Understood. And so let's come back a little bit to the end consumers that you've been serving the longest. And uh, how do you distinguish yourself from the other let's say digital wallets out there when you you know talk about the other products that you have for the end consumers and uh, maybe you can mention some of the basic examples of which you were talking about. in when you were talking about the history, is this secure? How does that work? Right? Or can I forget my key and then I'm going to lose my blockchain? Yeah, sorry, my, my bitcoins that somebody gave me 10 years ago, and I thought it was worthless. And now I'm going to lose half a million dollars prevent these sort of issues, or is it inherent in how blockchain and crypto works?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've come to gain a deeper appreciation for with crypto is at its core, I think one of the the most important thing with crypto is it's decentralized. That's what makes it unique and special. And I think that's why, you know, what the internet did to making access to information and then retail experiences and so on, it was a completely different way of searching, finding, consuming information and, and conducting business online I think the key innovation with crypto is this notion of decentralization. And so one of the key things that makes us different from other people in the space is we started with private keys. And the whole point of that is that you enable an individual to control their own finances. Like that's completely different from the experience you have in traditional finance if you open a bank account where ultimately the bank controls your assets. And now that's very well designed, very well regulated. It's very safe. By us starting with private key wallets, our view was that we want a user to control their funds and have nobody in the middle of that. Now that comes with a certain responsibility, as you mentioned, which is on the one hand, there's nobody else involved. You have direct control over the crypto that you have in a private key wallet. But yeah, it means you shouldn't lose your keys or there's nobody that can help you. And I'm sure we've all heard stories of people who bought a bunch of Bitcoins when they were worth $10. (laughs) They lost their keys. They have the hard drive sitting in their room. It's worth $100 million and they can't get access to it. And private key wallets are probably not for everyone, but that is where we started. And, And we do continue to believe that's an important part of the crypto ecosystem that should not go away. Now for other people, they might say, well, look, I want access to crypto. I don't feel confident that I can safely and securely store and manage my keys myself. From there, we developed a custodial wallet. And what that means is that we manage the keys for you. And that type of experience means it looks and feels much more like what you would have if you accessed your bank account online. Meaning there's a username, there's a password. If you lose your password, there are steps to recover your password. But for somebody that may not be as confident in kind of managing their private keys, Perhaps a better place to start is with our custodial wallet. And I think that's a typical progression for people as they get involved with crypto. Might be to start with a custodial wallet. Maybe you make your first purchase of crypto through our broker. And as you get more interested, it starts to branch into a lot more complexity within the crypto ecosystem. So maybe you start with a custodial wallet, you buy some Bitcoin. Then you actually start get interested in other types of coins, and perhaps you want to start trading these more actively. But at that point, it may be more appropriate to shift from our brokerage to our exchange, which is more appropriate for more active types of trading. And that's one branch that we see our users take as, as they get more comfortable and and with crypto. A completely different branch might be getting interested in, in some of the opportunities that exist within DeFi. So in that case, you actually may want to shift from your custodial wallet to a private wallet. Where it's easier to interact with some of the smart contracts than other types of um, opportunities available within DeFi. On the one hand, I think what differentiates us is we do have that private key as well, your private wallet, as well as a custodial wallet. Another thing that I think makes us a little bit different is we're trying to solve a lot of the problems that, you know, or, or said differently, maybe provide access to a lot of the different opportunities within crypto. And so in some ways, I think we see ourselves as that more diversified financial services company within crypto. We want to we want to provide access to all of these. I think there's lots of other crypto companies out there who focus on a single thing. And I think that's great as well. If you just want to access a liquidity pool in DeFi, there are some phenomenal companies that only focus on that problem, do it exceptionally well. I guess we're hoping to provide access to all of those opportunities over time.
0: All right, understood. It's all clear. So talking about other companies in this space, you recently acquired AIX. And to me, it seemed like a capability play. Maybe let's explain also what this company is. But how do you think about organic versus inorganic growth in your sort of setting, right? Which is fast-paced, growing anyway. So it's not about, let's buy a competitor because we cannot think of uh, growth uh, opportunities. Of course you can, but what's the trade-off here? What was the rationale for this acquisition, for example?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think on the one hand, I, we have a phenomenal engineering team. We develop a lot of the solutions that we offer in-house, whether that's wallets, custody, exchange, etc. So we absolutely look to build a lot of those solutions ourselves. But MA is definitely also a big part of our, our strategy. So in fact, we actually have four deals currently that are active, that, that we're working on. And part of that is because crypto moves so quickly, if you want to keep up and with everything that's happening, I'm not sure that you can develop it all yourselves, especially for a company like ours that is trying to offer a lot of different um, products and, and solutions to our customers. So AIX is definitely a good example. It was a relatively small team that had focused on building more of an institutional trading solution for kind of OTC trading. And so, you know, when we think about M&A, there, there are three types of ways or, or opportunities that we see with M&A. One is acquire teams. And those teams may be working on crypto or they may be working outside of crypto. Uh, and we see a great opportunity to embed that team with it within our. So teams is one thing we look at for M&A. Products is, is another. If somebody's developed something that, that we think is really great and we think fits well within our product suite, that's another opportunity. And the third might be actual full business or revenue. So all three of those are fit within the M&A strategy. As it relates to AIX, the two things that they had was a great team that they had built and had worked together quite well for several years. And they also had a pretty interesting product that we felt would extend some of the capabilities that we already had within the OTC trading business. We completed that that acquisition a few months ago. We've integrated that team and some of the technology that they built. And it's been quite helpful to accelerate some of the volume that we're doing on the OTC side of things.
0: All right, wonderful. You already mentioned also that you are an international company. So what are your international ambitions still going forward?
1: Yeah, I, I guess the international ambitions are the same as when we started. We currently operate or have customers in, in 200 countries. And that's a good thing. It presents certain challenges. One of the the most complicated challenges actually is just payments because each country works slightly differently in terms of the banks and the fiat rails and because one of the core things that we want to offer to customers is making it very easy for them to get their fiat you know currency into our system to buy crypto with it means that we have to solve that payment challenge that's baked into the company you know into our company meaning anytime that we launch a product it needs to work in all the countries that we already operate in. And that's challenging, but because like, I guess that's how we've always operated. It's built into the ethos of our product development. So yeah, you know, we operate in 200 countries right now. I think I mentioned earlier, only about 20% of our business in, is in the US. So actually the majority of our business is in Europe. And I think that's part of the appeal of crypto is in a lot of these less developed countries or regions, Africa is a great example, Latin America is another, crypto is a very important part of a lot of individuals' financial well-being. You know, I think you see that in a lot of these countries that have less stable financial regimes, individuals that keep their, if, if they keep their savings in, in fiat in a bank account, but there's risk that that fiat is, you know, devalued very quickly, and all of a sudden they, they lose a lot of their savings. Sometimes it might be seized by a country when there's a power transition. So crypto isn't just an interesting, innovative tool. It's actually a, a critical way for them to preserve their financial you know, security. And as a result, we we have quite a bit of focus on growing our operations within Latin America and within Africa. And, and those are huge areas, not just of growth, but of, of business right now. And I think we want to maintain that. Obviously, the U.S. is a huge market, both on the consumer side and the institutional side, and we're working hard to grow our presence there. It's, it has some more regulatory complexity. I think we've seen a lot of headlines recently of the SEC, the SCFTC, others trying to establish the, the rules. I think that will take some more time. We're eager to see those rules be well-defined so we can operate within them. But as I mentioned, I think we're very much global, you know, we're happy to watch the evolution of those rules within the US, but continue to, you know, push hard to grow and outside the US.
0: Fantastic. And ever since you started working at blockchain.com, I'm pretty sure that people, your friends ask you, so Dan, what do you think the Bitcoin's price is going to be by Christmas, right? (laughs) So I don't want to ask you a number, but if you take a very long term view, you talk about crypto. Do you think that we'll just have a handful of winners that we already know? Or there will be a new player that will emerge and push everyone to the side? If you take a bit of a history lesson and you look at the browsers, there was a Netscape at some point, right?
1: Yeah. And
0: in terms of search engines, there was uh, Al- AltaVista and, and I don't know what else, and nobody, nobody uses them anymore. So do you think we will have something similar in, in the blockchain or crypt- cryptocurrency space or, or not?
1: yeah I think looking at the internet, it's definitely an interesting kind of sector to look at and see how it's evolved. you mentioned Alta Vista before before Google, Yahoo was like the dominant search engine. But at the same time, the internet was actually relatively nascent. So there was still a lot of opportunity for somebody else to come up with a better search algorithm. We obviously saw that with Google. Now, at the same time, what we've seen with Google is it ended up being the the right, I guess you could say search engine and and captured. I don't know what their market share right now is, probably still over 80%, 85%. And 20 years on, that's still the case. As these industries mature, network effects are a real thing. Having the best product are a real thing. And I think you do see certain people cement a lot of that market share, and it becomes much, much harder to take market share. So search is an interesting example. At the same time, sticking with internet for just a minute, it's not like the level or speed of innovation in internet has gone down. And that with social networks, some have come, some have gone. Obviously, Facebook is the dominant. I think it's been interesting to watch some new players in kind of social, whether it's Snap or TikTok. I think these things are dynamic and are continuing to evolve. So I think as it relates to crypto, you've seen the, the same thing over the last 10 years. There were lots of people that had really big market shares. And then there were some spectacular blowups and they disappear and there are other people who establish more of a you know dominant presence. At the same time, I still think crypto is very nascent. So there's still a lot of fragmentation, whether that's related to centralized exchanges, wallets, DeFi is this new and entirely new area that I think people are start, still trying to figure out how it's going to work. I think if you look at layer one protocols, there's a lot of them. Maybe to try to answer your question a little bit more clearly, what is crypto going to look like in 10, 20 years? I I think on the one hand, I, I think it's safe to assume perhaps in 20 years that there are several trillion dollar companies that own large parts or provide solutions to large parts of the crypto ecosystem. It's hard to say who those are going to be. I think there's a lot of speculation of Oh, at some point, traditional finance is getting, going to get involved. They're going to be big players, maybe, but maybe not. I think maybe crypto is such a completely different ecosystem that it's hard for traditional finance to establish a meaningful foothold there. But I do think some of the, at this point, some of the numbers that you see, if you look at us, we now have over 100 million wallets, we have over 35 million verified users. Like, those are big numbers. And there are other players in the space, whether those are wallet or brokerage providers or exchange providers that have similarly large presences. And I think at that point, you have critical mass. So I certainly expect some of these you know, companies, hopefully ourselves included, continue to grow over the next 20 years and, and become dominant players in the space. But at the same time, crypto is evolving so quickly. Maybe it looks very different from what it looks like right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are startups that get started in five or ten years from now that become huge, and I think that's part of why I chose to leave my career in traditional finance and join crypto. I think the thing I'm very confident in is crypto is not going away. <laughs> and so, what does it look like in ten or twenty years? It's hard to say, but I think at this point it's clear that crypto is solving a real problem. And part of my decision of leaving traditional finance was most of the smartest people that I had worked with are new whether those were engineers or traders, were entering crypto. And you know, I think that's probably one of the most important things to determine, is this going to survive or not? I think when you have hundreds of thousands of the world's top developers or top finance people voting with their feet and joining crypto, it means that this is a real thing. And, and I think this really is going to be at least a 20 to 30 year wave of growth and innovation.
0: Absolutely. But let's do a follow up in 10 years in 2031. You know, we're going to do another podcast and so we'll see <laughs> what happens. So that would be quite fun. So thank you so much, Dan. And I just like to conclude by asking what's the best way to reach out or for people to find out more about blockchain.com?
1: So the best way is probably just on Twitter at blockchain it is our Twitter handle. So we're constantly posting updates and announcements. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at Dan Bookstaver. I'm not too active yet, but hopefully we'll become more active in the future.
0: Alright, well brilliant Dan. Thank you very much and good luck to blockchain.com.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, really appreciate the time.
0: Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech Podcast. If you haven't already, check out also VoiceOffInTech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceofintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.